Welcome to Level Up Chips Esports Edition. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Level Up Chips. My name is Michael Gonzalez, and I am your lovely host, and I am joined by Nathan Bender. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much, Michael. I am uh, thrilled to be here. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm thrilled to have you here. So basically, this is the esports edition of Level Up Chips. And from my understanding, you know quite a bit about esports, actually. Yeah, so uh, in the room that I'm currently sitting in, in uh, 2017, uh, I started with uh, three or no, four of my friends, uh, a show called Checkpoint. Uh, it was called Checkpoint Radio for a little bit, and then it became Checkpoint XP. Uh, it was syndicated on, uh, I think at most it was about 65 different radio stations across the United States and Canada. Uh, we hosted it for three or four years and uh, ended up selling the show uh, to Beasley Broadcasting and uh, hosted it under their umbrella for about a year. And then the pandemic hit and uh, we all kind of went our separate ways. But yeah, it, uh, something that... Uh, you know, we had started in my second bedroom and uh, went all the way to uh, 65 plus radio stations across the U.S. and Canada. Oh, my gosh. How, how did you even get that to, like, happen? I mean, that, so, that's just insane. <laughs> yeah. So the the story actually behind Checkpoint XP is pretty interesting. So um, it actually all started all the way back in 2006 on the campus of Central Michigan University. In fact, it was the basement of Moore Hall. Uh, I was a broadcast student at the time living. Uh, actually, I, I said Moore Hall, I meant Merrill Hall. I was living in Merrill Hall and uh, it just kind of found out that a few of my friends uh, or a few other people that lived in Merrill Hall who would become my friends uh, played the same MMO that I did, which at the time was Final Fantasy XI, not the most popular MMO in 2006, right? It was World of Warcraft. Yeah. And so it was pretty rare to find Final Fantasy XI players, and uh, we immediately connected. And there was one day we were all sort of sitting around at dinner down in the dining commons, and there's this little sort of, if you know Merrill Hall, you know, there's this like sectioned off section of uh, the dining hall. And we were in there and we, we had one of those big, we had like seven or eight tables uh, kind of strung up together. And we're all just telling stories about playing Final Fantasy Eleven, and we're cracking each other up and we're having a great time. And at some, at, at some point I sat up and I looked around and I noticed that Everyone else in that room was silent and they were watching us. They had no idea what we were talking about, but we were creating such a scene that it was clearly entertaining to other people. So it kind of got me thinking, um, like I said, I was already a broadcast student, so I was hosting my own show on WMHW and not getting a whole lot out of it at that point. And podcasting had just started to become a thing. And so I took a bunch of old equipment that I had from uh, a punk band that I was in like two or three years earlier. And uh, we ended up sitting down and recording our very first episode. I think it was like the second or third week into the semester. And the rest wow. was sort of history. Limit Break Radio was born. Uh, it was uh, a show dedicated to Final Fantasy XI. 
And that's sort of where all of our history and uh, careers with podcasting can be sort of traced back to uh, was in the the basement of uh, of of Merrill Hall. But fast forward, you know, the project continues. It continued on for, uh, I think, nine years after that, until all of us ended up leaving Central Michigan. Uh, at that point, we we didn't we didn't shut the show down, but production stopped because we weren't really sure how to continue forward with producing the show. Right. And eventually, uh, you know, Final Fantasy XI's player population dwindled. Final Fantasy 14 came rolling in and we were all kind of looking at each other like, should we get the band back together? And so we did and uh, decided to approach it a much more like a business. And so we started a Patreon. We started doing shows live on Twitch. I, I can't I can't say this for certain, but I'm pretty sure that we were the very first podcast uh, to take live callers on Twitch. Uh, oh, wow. That was that was how we, uh, you know, we decided we needed a live transmission medium uh, to be able to take live calls. We decided to make that Twitch. And, uh, you know, uh, a, a year later, we've got 600 people who are tuning in every Sunday uh, when we're making a show. And we didn't even intend for that to be like, a part of the product it was it was just a natural sort of a natural extension of what we were doing and so you know we start doing the show for final fantasy 14 uh the patreon is doing really well we're we're uh it, it's it's closer to a business we're not paying people you know what they should be paid but we are paying at least a little people are getting something back from their labor and uh we started you know uh, uh, we, we started, uh, brainstorming some ideas about, you know, we know that FF 11 had a, uh, a limited period of time where it was relevant and people cared and wanted to listen to conversation about it. We knew that we were on sort of the same, uh, timer with final fantasy 14. So we sat down and thought, okay, well, what can we do that's still entertaining? That's still talking about video games uh, but there's a need for it, right? And mm -hmm. at the time, I was working at a uh, sports talk radio station, Detroit Sports 105.1. And I had approached uh, one of my uh, my bosses there, the program director, Rick Scott, and I had said, Rick, man, I know you work a lot with uh, ESPN, and I'm, you know, I'm making the show about video games. Esports is just blowing up. Uh, what is e ESPN doing about esports? And at 2017, he was like, nothing. And so I gave him a CD and I said, hey, take a listen to this. This is what I'm producing on the weekends. Uh, if you think that there's value there, get back to me and let's 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 have some conversations. Right. And he came back and he was like, yeah, I think you got something here. So we ended up developing Checkpoint at that point, Checkpoint Radio independently with Rick Scott and his company, uh, RSA Sports Entertainment, and then uh, ended up selling the uh, the property to Beasley, who brought us all on full time. So uh, that that is the long and gory history of how Checkpoint uh, became Checkpoint XP and ended up uh, on so many different radio stations. We were working with um, Westwood One independently. Again, Rick Scott had all of these wonderful contacts in syndicated radio that we were able to use and uh, and and really get a foot in the door 
Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, that, that was, uh, that's really the, uh, the story behind, uh, behind checkpoint. That's incredible. I mean, I, I'm, I'm just thinking about it and I, I have to ask really quickly, is checkpoint still around with Beasley? That's a great question. Uh, I'd like to know myself because, uh, I think the last update that I saw from them was back in April. So, uh, as far as I know, I don't think that Checkpoint is still an active brand under Beasley, unfortunately. Oh, shoot. Well, yeah. hey, you got you got what you needed, right? Right. Um, and and that's something that I would love to talk about, you know, some of the, the esports uh, games that you covered, because it has just evolved into such a huge industry. Yeah. That was a that was a really big challenge early on was identifying the games that we should be covering or giving priority to. And, you know, as much as I love Skullgirls, you know, and there is a great competitive scene for it. Uh, it's one of those games that just doesn't amass enough eyeballs or or earballs uh, around it to really make it relevant to the core content. So we, we uh, you know, spent some time evaluating which games were the most relevant to esports. And the way that we approached programming our show was that we had one foot in esports and one foot in video gaming. So uh, if we ran out of things to talk about for esports, there was always new releases that were coming out. There were always, you know... Uh, what's going on with uh, Activision Blizzard this week? Who are they screwing over? You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. There's, there's always stories to be able to dig into if you widen up the scope a little bit from eSports. So that was a really important uh, sort of uh, programmed, programming decision that we made early on. But the other thing that we wanted to do was we wanted to present a show that sounded that sounded at that sounded natural and at home with the rest of sports radio because mu the the vast majority of radio stations that we were being picked up by were sports talk radio stations and that makes okay. a lot of sense yeah especially if you're you know calling yourself an esports show so we we really took a lot of time sort of studying the uh you know the 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 pace the cadence of uh sports radio and trying to match that as best we could and find ways to bring sports endemic listeners right like people who really only care about sports and try to get them to also care about esports and uh, we can debate whether or not that was successful to varying degrees but that was where we saw uh, uh our show sort of fitting in in a lineup sonically uh on the dial as well as um you know the 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 content portion which was really important so you know we were always trying to find the uh the the widest possible appeal games and that actually ended up becoming very difficult when Fortnite popped off because there was none of us who was on the staff that looked at Fortnite as a legitimate esport. Part of the problem was uh, was Epic kept changing the rules around Fortnite tournaments, and so it may even even Fortnite pros were like, "This is not this is not how 
other esports are managed. And we're starting to actually get very frustrated with the Fortnite scene. But the other, you know, they Epic didn't seem like they were um, really trying to promote or market Fortnite, at least initially, as a tournament-type game. And, you know, it was one of those things where we would have clashes with management where they would come in and say, hey, you guys need to be covering more Fortnite. And we would look at them and go, what do you want us to do? Do building tips? Like, we're trying to do a radio show that's reporting on what's happening. It's not really the appropriate place to go, okay, well, you know, if somebody's firing at you, you got to have a quick map to, uh, you know, how you, you know, you build a, a, a wall, make sure you get that cover first and then start building more complex structures. You know what I mean? Like, it's not a place for strategy. Yeah. You don't hear sports radio talking about strategy except at the very macro level because when you start to get into those you know those those finer details you really end up winding up in the weeds and unless somebody is an esports fan they have no idea what you're talking about so we tried to given where you know given our our spot in you know we were in mainstream media we were paired up alongside traditional sports talk radio shows uh i think we tried to have a, a little bit more of a general mass appeal approach um so you know for us our core was overwatch league we were huge on over again this is like 2018 2019 so this is right at the start of overwatch league where it looks poised to be the most professional league and it looks poised to just dominate esports and then they start doing overwatch 2 and that whole thing falls apart but um league of legends was another big one dota 2 uh and we would we would talk a lot about the uh conflict between the dota and league of legends you know fans that were happening at the time of who was going to end up being the dominant game where Dota 2 fans just could not accept that Riot and League of Legends was absolutely trouncing them in every possible metric. Um, I mean, everybody knows League of Legends. Dota, that's... I, I know it, but I'm, you know, I, I like games. Not many people know too much about Dota. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, you know, you've got CSGO. That's a huge one. Uh, Valorant was like just starting its beta around the time that, that we were, uh, you know, in our full swing. So that wasn't a game that was on our radar, but it, well, it was a game that was on our radar, but it wasn't one that we were actively reporting on its scene yet. Um, and then, you know, we kind of had to, you know, we looked at the fighting game scene and just kind we had to kind of like make it its own bubble, right? Like we had to sort of treat competitive fighting games as, a category like we treated League of Legends, which is a bit unfortunate, but I think anyone who follows esports fairly closely knows that, at least comparatively, when you look at something like Evo and the, you know, seven to nine games that it presents on its various stages versus something like League of Legends, that there is a much more cohesive fan base underneath something like League of Legends. So, you know, it was one of those things where, um, you know, if we had an opportunity to, to report on something that was, you know, a little bit, uh, a, a little bit niche, right? Like, uh, Pokemon mm -hmm. or, um, I had said Skullgirls earlier, uh, 
you know, I, I, I'm trying to think of another uh, Rocket League uh, would be another really uh, good example. We would take those opportunities. But, you know, one of the things that we heard often in feedback for the show was my game is X. You don't talk about my favorite game enough, which is a, a, admittedly in a two hour weekly show. Very difficult to please everyone. Yes, um, that that's actually something that. I was curious about when it you were talking a little bit about like the fighting games you were talking about you know there's those strategy games there's uh, the first person shooter uh, uh you know competitive games how different is it to cover were you doing almost like a, a commentary of when the games were happening or was it much more of talking about the players and who you know speculation stuff like that yeah it was much more the latter it was much more like speculation talking about individual players talking about teams right like mm. uh i think uh you know when you think of sports talk radio at least a certain percentage is de is dedicated to team makeup ownership discussions who's being traded that kind of stuff so that was always a hundred percent on our radar and like sports talk radio, we would try to analyze, you know, what kind of position does this put this team in for the next season or for the next series of games or, you know, going into the playoffs. So, you know, that type of, of analysis I think is really important, especially when you're dealing with a medium that is 100% audio, right? Uh, there, there isn't much, of an opportunity to give context using video. And I think there's a lot of us, you know, I'm only 37. Uh, there's, there's a lot of us millennials who take for granted uh, the fact that many, many podcasts and many, many shows these days are presented with a visual element. And when you strip that out completely and you have no place to even direct people to say, you know, go to our website and you can see the video along with it. I mean, yeah, we could do that, but it, it's not as effective when you're talking to someone who's sitting behind the wheel of their car than if you would be talking to someone in their earphones. Right. So, right. Uh, I, I think that, um, you know, the, the the presentation of the content was really important and we were always back looking right like uh, there were only a few times where we had the opportunity to sort of comment on something that was happening in front of us. Uh, we had the opportunity to go check out uh, the Rocket League Universal Open uh, at the time uh, that was done at the NBC studios in Stamford, Connecticut. That was really cool. Oh, wow. uh, you know, we got access to to players and, um, you know, still, even, even though we were there live, there was a lag time between when we were there and when the show would be presented, you know, on the radio. So again, it was sort of one of those things that we had to, uh, you know, take a, a, a look back on uh, to make it make sense contextually. Um, there was another one where, uh, you know, we went to the opening of the esports arena at the Luxor in Las Vegas, and they had a bunch of exhibition matches that were really cool. Um, Daigo was taking on, um, um, oh gosh, I can't, 
I cannot remember his name, uh, but uh, there were some DBZ uh, uh, exhibition matches that were going on there Ooh. that were it, Sonic Fox. That's who it was um, that Sonic were incredibly Fox. fun. Oh, yeah, geez. Sonic Fox and Daigo, uh, you know, doing doing exhibition matches at, uh, uh, you know, the the esports arena. It was really cool. And, um, you know, one of the segments that we did was commentating uh you know a uh a couple of rounds of their fight and you know that was that was pretty cool but yeah most of the stuff that we uh ended up doing was uh sort of looking back on events that had already happened so one of the the big things that i've been having trouble with because personally i love video games that's the the biggest thing i have a stars uh a hat on and everything i i just love single player games and i haven't really been in the multiplayer uh, arena to fully understand what is being talked about with esports so that that's you know kind of the purpose of this podcast is to get people to understand what is esports how do you follow with it and when you talk about like the talk show talking about speculation and even like possibly strategies that certain teams might use there's definitely terminology there's definitely a language to esports that i've learned is incredibly difficult it's hard to follow in the game and it's hard to follow with speculation and i'm just curious you know when it when it comes to research when it comes to talking to the audience about this stuff how difficult is it to trust your audience to know what is being talked about and if you know if you're talking about the right stuff that's a great question and part of the problem that i think we had as a you know as as a show was you know and this is this is no one in particular's fault um you know but we all came from the final fantasy 14 scene right like Right. And that's not that's not an esport. That's not that's not even that competitive. It's just a multiplayer game. It's a co-op and, game with a party. <laughs> yeah, it, essentially, yes. And so, you know, none of us and I think that this was this was part of the reason why the brand didn't take off as much as we wanted it to, but all uh, you know, none of us really came in with any kind of esports pedigree. And I think that with a scene that has been as long running and established as something like esports, that was a much, much more critical factor than any of us really realized as we were going in. And, you know, the decision to go after esports for us as a content team was far less. I, dude, I'm loving esports. I'm loving watching these matches. We should really talk about it. It was more along the lines of, Esports is blowing up. We know how to produce a professional show, a professional radio show, and we have the connections to make it happen. Mm-hmm. How much can we research? How much can we learn? And the way that we that we kind of did it is we first used people's natural inclination and natural passion, right? So Callie, who uh, was on our staff, was a huge fan of League of Legends, but she didn't play it, you know, competitively, right? Right, right. So, so we had her on the League of Legends beat 
so that she could learn the inside, you know, workings of the esports scene and have context for the game. Uh, I was a big fan of PUBG, so I ended up taking PUBG. Norris was a big fan of uh, fighting games, and uh, he ended up taking uh, the fighting game beat. Uh, Robbie was a was a big fan of uh, you know CS:GO and mm-hmm. uh, you know some of the the Blizzard properties. He was our OW. He was our dyed in the wool OWL guy. He knew everything about OWL and he loved playing Overwatch. So you know we we were really unique in the fact that we had three different voices as hosts of the show. You don't really hear that a lot in radio, right? You hear a lot, you hear some three benchers, but you mostly end up hearing two people going back and forth. Right. We needed we needed the deeper bench for us so that all of us could have context for, you know, and there's basic there's basic overall sort of macro things in esports that you have to have a sense of uh, you know, how tournaments work, single or double elimination, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you need to know the structure, but once you once you get down to the specifics, if you have one or two experts that can go back and forth or one expert and someone who just kind of knows enough to ask the right questions, then you can have a really interesting segment. And part of the thing, part of part of the position that I got put in because I was the first Mike host, meaning that I was the main host. I brought in the, you know, I was, I was bringing people back from the segments and, and, you know, cueing the breaks and stuff like that. Right. Was, you know, once we got away from uh, doing the show independently. And as soon as we were under the uh, you know, the ownership of Beasley, the direction that I got was that they wanted me to be a vessel for the audience. They wanted me to ask the questions. They wanted me to know less about esports or about video games so that I'm asking what they think the audience is asking when they're listening to our content. But because they're all 50 plus and have never played a video game in their life, they're only uh, uh, using their own limited frame of knowledge. And so when they would hear me talk about things like very simple, yeah. uh, you know, very, very sort of very simple acronyms, DPS, they'd go, why are you using acronyms? You're supposed to be the vessel for the audience. Well, most of the audience that will give a shit about this is going to know what DPS is. So, you know, it's it's one of those things where, We had constant disagreements with management once we were under uh, Beasley that were kind of undermining the way that we were structuring content. And, you know, once you once you you kind of sell the product that they own it like you got to do what your bosses want. And uh, I think that became a, a pretty serious point of contention where they had a very different audience in their mind that we were speaking to than the audience that we knew tangibly to be there. Um, so it, it, it ended up being this very weird dance that we were doing to deliver content that we thought was good and relevant versus content that management thought was good and relevant. And, uh, I, I don't think that we ever necessarily got on the same page there. Um, but yeah, I found it really, really helpful 
to sort of divvy up responsibility. And that way, when something new would come out like Valorant, right, we would have the ability to go, okay, what's on whose plate? Who has the ability to sort of learn about this and to try to bring the rest of us in on this? Because if you can bring the rest of us in on it and make us understand it, then you're going to do a very good job at helping the audience to understand it too. And, and yes, that, that's such an important thing to learn about. It's really funny that you were mentioning Fortnite before. Um, I am technically on the Fortnite team for um, the, the Central Michigan eSports. Gotcha. And I, I just think that it's fascinating sometimes knowing that these games, they're so similar Mm-hmm. You know, like we have Counter Strike, we have Rainbow Six, we have Valorant, but they are at the same time in the core mechanically, they are different. Yeah. And yeah. I'm trying to figure out how to frame this question really. Sure. Um, when it came to getting something like Valorant, did you have your reporter like go and research that who was on the beat of Counter Strike? Um, you know, ultimately, yes. Yeah. Once we sort of figured out what Valorant was, it, it it was, you know, cause I think at first Norris was the one who was really interested in it and, and passionate about it. But as soon as we found out how much it's sort of, how many mechanics it's, it shared with something like CSGO, uh, I forget who was on CSGO at that point, but we, I think it was Robbie. We ended up assigning, uh, Valorant to him. So, yeah, I, I think that that is um, that's a big question to ask because and especially if you're divvying up work like that, it can be really difficult to sort of like remember all of the particulars between two very similar games. Right. So yeah. sometimes it was helpful if someone, you know, if if Valorant was too similar to CSGO and we were mixing up the mechanics it might be okay. Well, then Norris might be able to uh, to to discern it a little bit better. I, I, part of it was interest. Part of it was what they were already covering and the mechanics that you would need to know. And um, you know, uh, uh, another another part of it was just you know workload. Is how many how many games is this person already uh, learning and covering? Um, you know, that's that's I think that's another uh, really big one. But I mean, you know, if you have something like. Multiverses that just came out, right, right. that is exceptionally similar, almost to a point where, uh, you know, Nintendo might have a court case, but is <laughs> r- remarkably similar to something like Super Smash Brothers. Um, you know, I think I think it would have made sense to go, hey, Norris, you're already covering fighting games and Smash is a part of that. Why don't you check out multiverses as well? Um, you know, and and some of it, sometimes we would look at a game and go, oh, that's going to have a banging, uh, you know, esports scene. And then their esports scene would fall apart in a year and a half. So, you know, there's there's that part of it, too. Like I was covering PUBG. And I lo- I loved PUBG. It was so much fun. And I was so stoked for PUBG League. And then, like, you know, you're you're watching it, and it's all of this very professional production, and it looks great. And then they pan the camera, and there's 14 people in the stands oh watching. Oh, my and you're God. Like, oh, no. That does not bode well at all. 
and it didn't. I, I think, you know, the, the PUBG esports scene is still lagging behind most other esports scenes. And uh, I think that, you know, there are reasons for that. Exactly. Um, <laughs> that That is actually an interesting one to think about. Sometimes I, I got to say it's funny to think that Fortnite was having almost that that court case with PUBG, yeah. you know, figuring out if it was too similar or not. And now it's, well, it's the one that took over, which is kind of insane to think about. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, and, and, and I mean, it was, there was very few factors that I think, you know, pushed it over the edge. I think having a more cartoony presentation really helped. You got a lot of kids in the door that way. Um, you know, PUBG is very focused on military, um, you know, a, a military sort of aesthetic to it. You're, you're naturally going to get, uh, less kids or families that would be willing to check that out or families that would be willing to allow their kids to check that out. So, right. um, you know, yeah, I think, I think Fortnite, uh, Epic was really smart when they saw, the battle royale genre starting out. And I don't think they waited for PUBG to come out. I think that they saw a lot of those Arma 2 mods that were coming out uh, and was like, yes, this works as a format for our really shitty base building, you know, defense game. And uh, we could very easily convert our map to do this. And uh, it worked. It a it, hundred million percent worked. And I love how now they're like, yeah, we, we don't need any of that base building stuff. You don't need to build anything. It's just shoot and go. Oh, and here's Goku. Have him Kamehameha your enemy off the map. <laughs> it, I mean, you know, they, they just have a much, much different approach to the way that, um, you know, that they do content from PUBG and, you know, for what it's worth, I think that that is uh, that that was smart. That's, uh, you know, nine tenths of the reason that they've made so much of their money. I mean, look at, you know, look at a game like Escape from Tarkov, which aesthetically has a lot more in common with PUBG that had a ceiling, right? Like great game uh, sort of established the, you know, the the uh, um, what is it? Extraction gameplay. But right. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, if Epic comes along and goes, yeah, all right, let's do that, but put Goku in it too, you know, kids are going to flock to it. Right. And we are kind of coming close to um, wrapping things up. I, I do have one final question, sure. which is pretty much where where do you see the the esports industry going? Do you, do you think that it's building even more? Do you think that it is at that ceiling? That is a very good and very difficult to answer question. Um, I think that the period of explosive growth that esports had between 2015 and 2019, I think that's done. Uh, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these sort of like mainstream companies coming in and making major investments in esports organizations. I think, you know, that'll probably happen in very limited quantities now. Uh, I think that from an investment standpoint, esports teams have not returned on what people have invested in them. And a lot of that has to do with 
FaZe Clan and their sort of weird financial manipulations that they've been trying to to pull, whether it's getting FaZe listed on, uh, I don't know if it was the NASDAQ. I think it was the NASDAQ. But, wow. you know, uh, it, it, there's there's definitely, I think, from an investment standpoint, a lot more returns that need to happen before we start seeing the same levels of investment. I don't think esports is going anywhere, though. Uh, you know, this is this is something that was established in uh, garages and in um, you know small convention centers. And if it has to go back to that for a little bit, then I think it will. But it will survive. Um, I hope it. I I I I I do think that it's going to see. Uh, you know, a, a retraction or um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, you know, just it, it'll it'll get smaller for a little bit, but at some point in the next ten or fifteen years, there is and and part of the part of the problem that we found with Checkpoint is that most of the people who are listening to the radio are either Gen X or boomers. And the majority of people who are interested in esports content are Gen Z and millennials, right? So you have content that's aimed at Gen Z and millennials when there are none that are essentially none that are on the platform. And, you know, I, I think that in 10 or 15 more years, as a lot of those millennials start to age, I think that esports is going to see a very serious resurgence because we yeah. as a generation have a tendency not to. So I, I've got this I've got this analogy that I like to use, and that's as as we get older and as we enter adulthood, we like, you know, we tend to put kids stuff in a box and then put it up on the shelf and a lot of times people don't reinvestigate that box of interests from their childhood until they have a kid and that kid gets old enough to start being interested in things like video games but i think among millennials we have a much we have much more reticence about putting that stuff in the box in the first place. So these interests that we have as, as kids and, and adolescents, they end up continuing into our adulthood. That's how you have so many 40-year-old fans of Lord of the Rings, and Amazon can bring back a series that so many people love because they have really great memories of that from when they were a kid. Gen X didn't do that. Gen X put the PlayStation in the box and they put it up on the shelf. Mm -hmm. And now some of them are starting to rediscover video games as their kids age. But with millennials not doing that in about 10 or 15 years, you're going to start to see Gen X and boomers age out of the potential audience for much of anything except Fox News you're only going to you know you're only going to increase the pool of people who are interested in watching esports and want to follow esports 
like their sports. And at that point, it's only going to it's only going to be a matter of time before a major media organization comes in, sees the value and says, OK, let's put this on our television. Let's market it. Let's market it to the nines. And then once that successful product hits, then you're going to start seeing a second wave of esports investment and esports interest that pops up. But I, I genuinely think it's going to take another you know, five to, to 10 to even maybe 15 years to get to that point. That's actually a really interesting thing to see. I I wasn't exactly sure what the answer would be because it's such a, it still feels new. There's something about it. And e-sports it's volatile just... too. You know, mm-hmm. like there's, there, there isn't one company that's out there that's so successful that is like, you know, you can point to to go, this is the model of how you do it. This is the model of how you're successful. Every esports team and organization out there, you know, they're they're struggling, not struggling, but they're they're working at it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, until that one proven, you know, franchise success rolls through, I think, you know, it it still becomes a very uh unsafe bet to make um i mean just look at what happened with g2 and uh you know uh carlos uh having you know being shown the door uh of the company that he created because he decided to party with andrew tate you know if things oh, are are yeah. that vol- if things are that volatile and th- you know and and someone like a ceo doesn't have the weight that they can throw around inside their own organization like there it just it makes it an incredibly speculative investment and investors don't like speculation well yeah no you're right um i'm i'm trying to think if there's anything else but is there anything that you would want to talk about as a little final remark yeah, sure. Uh, if you uh, enjoy listening to me talk, I do a Monday through Friday uh, video game uh, 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 newscast. Uh, it's called Let's Play Daily Gaming News. Um, and generally, you need to enter in all of that to to be able to find it because there's a lot of other things called Let's Play out there. But Let's Play Daily Gaming News, again, Monday through Friday. It's only about five minutes long, uh, but it's a nice uh, update to keep you up with what's going on in uh, the video game world and video game news. So uh, if you if you enjoy it, uh, you know, if you've enjoyed today's show, uh, check that out. And, um, you know, for those that heard Final Fantasy 14 and got really excited. Limit Break Radio is not still uh, is not still a show, unfortunately, but we have looked at bringing it back uh, sometime this year or next year. So uh, there might be more Limit Break Radio content uh, down the line. Well, I do look forward to hearing about that soon. Um, and just as a final thing for all the listeners, don't forget to listen to other CM Life podcasts and have a good week, everybody. See you next time.